This is the Airport Experience News Podcast. I'm Ramon Lowe, the publisher of AXN and the host. Please make sure you subscribe to the pod. This way you'll get the latest episodes as we post them. Also, don't forget to check out our library of episodes. We've been doing this for almost a year and a half now, and there are just so many episodes that I know you're going to enjoy. And you know what? They're all still very much relevant today. Finally, don't forget to leave a very positive comment or review, kind of just to let us know how much you're enjoying the podcast. It's appreciated. So this is episode 92 and the last in a series I am doing where I focus on unique non-food, non-retail services and businesses in airports where they are really looking to grow and elevate the customer experience. And here I chat with Crystal Browning, the CEO and founder of Baggage Nanny. Now, not only is this a neat little service, but I personally enjoyed hearing Crystal's story as an entrepreneur, how she found her way to discover and create this service. Uh, how she's continuing to learn, uh, I guess, navigating this industry of ours, and really so much more. So here is my conversation with Crystal Browning. So I'm here with Crystal Browning, the CEO and founder of Baggage Nanny. Crystal, thanks for taking the time to speak with me. Yeah, good morning. Thanks for uh, having me on. I'm excited to chat. So uh, if you weren't aware, well, you are aware because we spoke about this. Uh, I'm doing this really short series on non-food, non-retail type services and sessions in airports. You know, we always talk about, you know, what's the latest and greatest in airports and people tend to, uh, I guess, allude to a new restaurant or a new store, uh, but not so much in the services, even though services are on the come up, right? And even when we do talk about services, we default to spas and things like that, which nothing wrong, but I'm trying to focus on some really cool, unique services that I believe are going to impact, uh, positively impact the traveler's journey. And you came up, as uh, you and I spoke about, uh, because I had interviewed Julie Melnick and she mentioned you on her episode, which uh, still available out there for folks to listen to. And um, glad we connected, put it that way. Yeah, I mean, I love Julie and I was, she texted me and said, hey, listen to like 18 minutes. I give you a shout out. So of course, listen to the whole thing. But we're kind of championing each other uh, in the it being women in the same industry. And you know what? And we're going to probably get to this in a second, but I'll bring it up now. But, you know, there's there's a lot of that that I'm finding, which is really great in terms of um, folks and this non-traditional side of our non-traditional environment, right? In terms of services, yeah. really getting together. Uh, helping folks out. Um, and I love it because, again, you guys are doing something to really help uh, satisfy the consumer, the traveler, that mm -hmm. is. So um, before all that, and before we definitely will get to baggage, neighbor, I want you to share a little bit about your background. Sure. So I'm actually a third generation entrepreneur. Um, I grew up in my grandma's hair salon that she had in her house. And her <laughs> husband, my grandfather, had his own um, construction company. And then... Um, so I was watching her do perms since, you know, I was little. And then my father, he's also an entrepreneur. He's done everything from um, working with um, startups in our hometown to the real estate and unfortunately the real estate bubble. Mm -hmm. And so I've watched him uh, vacillate from when we're very wealthy and we would be driving in his Jaguar to when we were <clears throat> um, kind of poor. And so I've watched him go up and down with that cycle. And and so I hopefully learned what to do and what not to do um, watching all of them. Um, I grew up in a small town. And when I turned 18, <clears throat> I knew that I wanted to expand my horizons. And so I moved from kind of the middle of nowhere in the middle of the valley in California um, to Chicago and then never really looked back. And so I had a lot of opportunity to travel in my 20s. Uh, I lived in Europe, um, in the Middle East and in Mexico before settling here in San Diego and actually deciding to go to college. 
And so I studied political science and philosophy in college, which really meant I never really wanted to have a job. <laughs> and and uh, my idea was I was going to run campaigns. And uh, then I realized I'd have to go to school for like 10 more years to get my PhD. And that led to starting my own first company instead of finishing my degree. I'm actually like a semester away from finishing my BA. Oh, uh, Thanks. Yeah. I'm probably not going to finish. We'll see what happens. With <laughs> um, but I have taken a few business classes like along the way and uh, uh, tried to bone up on what terms mean and that sort of thing. But uh, yeah, so I, I traveled a lot and um, I really loved it and finally <clears throat> settled here in San Diego about 12 years ago. And I think there's, there's nowhere else better to live. So I'll probably stay here for, for at least another 10 years. Yeah, I, I've been to San Diego several times. And the weather people always out there are like, it's either perfect or a little less than perfect in terms of. Yeah, uh, you might some rain, like watch out. But other than that, it's pretty perfect. <laughs> exactly. Well, it's funny. You mentioned a couple of things I want to get to. And uh, one of them, you said, uh, obviously, you come from a long history of entrepreneurs and that you learned a lot. I'm, I'm sure even now you're probably still learning a thing or two and it's usually stuff that it's you're not exactly going to pick up in a classroom in a school book right I mean it's you learn totally. by doing exactly and one thing I realized about two years ago which was life-changing for me was that everyone is faking it until they make it mm -hmm. everyone is on the side googling what does a term what does this term mean mm -hmm. and so there's a ton of resources out there that are not in the traditional educational sense like books um, podcasts like yours. I love listening to the pitch and other podcasts. Yes. Um, so you just have to like figure out what works for you and then literally just like be confident, show up and fake it. And everyone else is faking it. Everyone else feels like they're a fraud and you'll get far. <laughs> At least I have in my little world, you know, it works well for me. So prior to getting into Baggage Nanny, um, and maybe this is related. You know, what were some of the businesses that you launched? And I guess they kind of led you to conceive of Baggage Nanny, correct? Totally. They came out of my um, first two businesses. So my first business was five years ago called Clean as a Whistle. A lot of people have said, why didn't you call it Crystal Clean? Which I just <laughs> didn't think of at the time. Um, but I saw, so when I would move around a lot in my 20s, um, like I lived in Seattle, I lived in Portland, uh, I would get jobs off Craigslist doing cleaning because it was a really easy way to make some cash and pretty significant amount of cash really quickly until you could find a good, like real, not real job, but an hourly job. And so I did a lot of gig economy kind of jobs and a lot of that was cleaning. So when I started Clean as a Whistle, I saw that there was this opportunity in the Airbnb world, which there's a 7,000 of them in San Diego alone, um, doing residential style cleaning combined with hotel style cleaning. And so it was a really niche thing. Um, and so I took my kind of hustle and, and made it so that our cleaners all actually got paid very well. A lot of times they would make more money than I did at the end of the day. Um, and that, you know, we over communicated, we would show up when we said we were going to show up. So bringing like good business mm -hmm. ethics to the cleaning world um, was really successful. And I called our, we called ourselves a boutique cleaning company. And so we were in a lot of these vacation rentals. We did some residential cleaning during the slower season, but that led to the owners of these mansions knowing me, trusting me. And so uh, they, uh, eventually I started Browning Ventures, which is a property management company for vacation rentals. Having someone 
in the area, on the ground, in their house all the time, making sure that their guests were happy, um, that their supplies were stocked, that, that their neighbors were happy. If there was an issue, their neighbors could reach out to me um, rather than you know calling the police or just complaining online about this you know, delinquent Airbnb owner who's never around. Um, that was really successful. So, um, but that came, Baggage Nanny's idea kind of came from that. I mean, it 100% came from that because we had 15 properties and at least two to three times a week, we would have our guests say, hey, we're flying in at 10 because it's cheaper to fly in the morning and we can't check in until four. So where can we leave our stuff? Can we please just drop it off early? Um, or on the other side, we have to check out at 11 or flights not till night. Like, what do we do with our bags? And so we started Baggage Nanny with my dad as our driver, just as an auxiliary <laughs> service for our guests. And then I thought, well, if this is such a big problem for us with just 15 properties, I bet this is hard for companies who manage like hundreds of properties. And I didn't really take it to the next level until I, then I realized why it's a problem. You have to like look for the source of the issue. And it's because after the attacks of 9-11, TSA banned storage lockers inside airports. Yep. So there's literally no storage options. So we got there eventually, but I wasn't thinking that grandly yet. <laughs> I just was trying to fix the problem in my little world of this Airbnb thing. And so, yeah, I had to, I mean, going back to faking until you make it, like I had to quickly learn how to navigate like a government agency, like an airport. Um, but yeah, that's kind of where it came. It's definitely where it came from was just, just the idea of just trying to help our little group of travelers, not the world yet. <laughs> were, were there any, and this is the part I love, I should have uh, I asked of a lot of folks um, really just about uh, the funny stories or tales and pain points along the way to getting this off the ground. It seemed like you already had a, um, obviously a user base or demand for it, but there's always the stuff in between, the stories in between from when you iterate, uh, from when you conceive it to actually executing it, that's kind of like a little fun. Do you have any of those, those types of stories? Um, sure, so when we first started, uh, it was in Mar March of 2018 when the idea kind of just came about. And then in April, we had um, about 60 orders on one day. And 40 of those orders were all for this youth group that was traveling down to Mexico um, with their church. And so they had a day to kind of kill and they wanted to take all these kids to the zoo, but 40 bags for our one little passenger Toyota van that my dad drives around <laughs> was like so scary. And just like the idea of like, how do we really organize these and how do we really label these? Like we had to just learn super quickly. So I actually have a picture of us like on the side of the road in front of this restaurant with all of these bags just like lined up next to the van. And I'm sitting there going, oh my gosh, like how are we going to handle this? Um, but we did. And that was when we were, we were realizing, oh, this might actually be a thing. Like we're really busy. I was used to with the cleaning company, like trying to hustle up jobs or like, mm -hmm you know, using all these different um, apps like Thumbtack to like get jobs and bid on them. Um, but with those jobs, I knew if I had a cleaning scheduled, I got paid that day. But with Baggage Nanny, we're just like setting up shop and hoping people want to yeah. use our service. So I know that's common with a lot of people is like you have to, you know, jump off the cliff really quickly and hope people will show up. And, you know, if you build it, they will come. Um, but yeah, that day was a little stressful and my dad was all flustered. And I mean, he's retired he's a retired Navy guy after, uh, before he was an entrepreneur. So he was used to just like hanging out at the beach. 
So I'm like <laughs> throwing him like his full-time job out of nowhere. Um, but that was when I, you know, realized, okay, this could be a big thing. And then also the having to like kind of swallow your pride and ask for help. Like I had asked my boyfriend, can you please help me with this or help, you know, asking my dad or asking friends like to pitch in and help um, was a good lesson for me. Cause I tend to just try to do everything on my own. I'm not a big delegator, but yeah, that one, that one was a kind of a scary moment. Um, did you ever feel like there was a point where, okay, is this, um, is this like a, a fool's errand of some sort? Um, will it work? Did, you give it, did you give it some time before? Like, okay, if it doesn't by this point, or did you always know? I knew it could be a thing. I was worried that maybe we were, I mean, I'm always worried about this, that we're too early. Yeah. Because, you know, there's a difference between being cutting edge or bleeding edge. And so we have a dual kind of um, barrier. We have to explain to people what we do and why they want to use our service. And so I've always joked like, okay, I'm just opening like a restaurant next time because this is too much. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think if I'm honest, I have that feeling every day when it's raining and we have three orders and I have five staff working, like that's stressful. Um, and we are a true startup where we're still trying to get to that more than just occasionally breaking even. Mm -hmm. So there's always that fear. Um, but I thought, I, I thought this was a thing. I looked at other companies, um, that have been doing it for a long time, like Bag Zinc. They've been around since the eighties. They got acquired right when we were first starting for like $167 million, like a really crazy amount. Uh, and it was cash. And so that was like kind of in our news. And so I thought, well, okay, like there's some precedent that this mm -hmm. could be a thing in Europe. The idea of storing your bags in lockers and cafes is really popular. And so I thought we could do it better here um, and do it a little differently with the on-demand aspect but yeah, I mean, I always have that fear, but I sold my house <laughs> that I wow. own and uh, took the proceeds from that to fund this. So I've been bootstrapping it myself um, since day one. And yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm in too deep now to have that fear. So I just keep it moving. Yeah, and sure. we've thankfully, we've had, uh, our traction has been great. We, in December, we were up 30% from November, January, we're another 10% on top of that 30%. So we're seeing growth every month, uh, and seeing the response from our guests or excuse me, our customers has been great. Uh, we have over 200 five-star reviews. People are loving that this service exists. We constantly hear, why aren't you in Miami? Why aren't you in New York? Mm -hmm. Um, but then we also have those airports who are interested in us expanding. So so I'm hoping that maybe we're not too early. Uh, we just have to get in front of the right investors to partner with to, to see the opportunity that we see. You touched on something like in that a lot of folks in Europe already utilize some form of this, right? It's, it's lockers and cafes, et cetera. Do you feel now, even though you are getting demand, you are, you have, you're having people uh, ask about it, do you feel though you're still having to create the behavior or is it really just um, letting the behaviors there and demands there, you're just having to really let people know you exist. I would say it's the second, like we just need to let people know that this is even an option um, and, and get in front of them when they're making their travel plans rather than they've landed and they're like, oh no, what are we going to do? Um, so, so yeah, so part of that is having our kiosks inside the airport, inside the baggage claim. So they see us, they can mm -hmm. see what we're doing. Uh, but yeah, I mean, we're, we're trying to be, 
um, innovative when it comes to how we're doing yeah. our marketing. And um, I think that the lockers are great. I think that for myself personally, like when I was in college, I spent a lot of time at coffee shops with my computer. I would never have left my computer just sitting at the table to go use the restroom. I took everything with me. <laughs> and so I don't know if Amer I my theory is Americans aren't as trusting. Maybe. I was going to say as a good American to gather your stuff yeah. and then, you know. Yeah. yeah. So, so yeah, I don't know if I would leave my bags for the day <clears throat> in a coffee shop, but I think lockers are great, but then you still have to go to the locker and then you still have to come back to pick it up. So why not just have someone else do that for you? You know, the, the on-demand aspect is a $7 billion industry according to Forbes. So there's some truth in people, especially millennials who just are past yes. baby boomers with um, disposable income. You know, they, they like to just have their Slurpees and their tacos brought to them. So why not pick up their bags too? You know, so it's the ease of convenience is definitely a plus in our, in our side of things. And this is one of the things I, I reference this uh, piece uh, regularly. Uh, now, of course, now I forgot the source, but essentially within the next five years, um, more than two thirds of the traveling public will be the millennial Gen Zers. So your user base is really coming into its own now <laughs> to yeah. right at the same time, uh, you know, as you are uh, getting into the space. So, so I just want to touch back on something that uh, uh, I'm trying to read, unless I'm wrong and, and, definitely let me know. But I'm thinking back of all the folks that I have already interviewed. Uh, Julie with, with um, Sky Squad, Jordan Walbridge from Gameway, Ty Manigold uh, from uh, Rome Fitness. Of the four, you're, you seem to be the only one, unless I'm wrong, <laughs> service is really, again, I'm getting back to this, like almost you have to create the behavior. Because again, you think about a gym, well, people have seen gyms, but they haven't seen gyms in an airport. Right. Um, you've seen video games, but you just haven't seen it in an airport. And you almost have to create that in some ways. But you're saying that's not necessarily the case. It's just one of awareness. I think it is of awareness. I mean, ideally, our whole jam is to revolutionize the way people travel. But that's like our overarching huge vision. I think that the law, the, they call it misplaced bags when they lose your bag. So the misplaced bags... Um, is a huge problem for airlines. So if we were able to come in and say, hey, we will pick up your bags at your house before you leave, we'll check them in, you fly, and then we will deliver them to your hotel, your lodging when you land. And then along the way, also track that bag for you and for the airline. I could definitely see, especially with the um, uh, creation of the uh, self-driving cars, like I could definitely see people just not traveling with their bags anymore. Like I, 10 years ago, you know, we didn't talk to strangers on the internet. We definitely didn't get in cars with strangers. Now we use internet to talk to strangers to get in their cars to travel around. So it's not that crazy to think that someone else would handle your baggage. Um, so that's kind of where we want to go in the big scope of things is just, it's just the norm that you yeah. don't travel with your bags. Like why not make it easy? Um, but getting people to know that we're, we're available in San Diego. If we were nationwide, it'd probably be a quicker way to, uh, to change their behavior. Cause they're like, Oh, it's in every airport, you know? So that's kind of like the bleeding edge, cutting edge kind of thing. But, um, yeah, I mean, people are 73% of people we interviewed on the ground in, in San Diego airport said that dealing with their baggage was the most stressful part of their, <laughs> of their travel. <laughs> yeah. So we know it's a problem. Um, 
And then also going back to like what you're saying about being kind of with millennials, like at the right place at the right time, airports and airlines are realizing that travel is stressful. And sometimes it's just, it's not fun anymore. And so they can only compete on so many things. Planes cost what what they cost, gas costs what they cost. So, you know, if they're going to pack us in like sardines on the plane, that's not great for customer experience. And so they're really trying to find ways to enhance that customer experience. Like we're seeing that everywhere. There's a airport conference coming up um, next month in March at the new New Orleans airport. And it's all about enhancing your customer experience, making them happy. What can you do to um, make travel fun again? And airlines are also competing with that. So that's another thing we've kind of tapped into, not on purpose, but it just happens to be that way that we can make their travel a lot better and make them happier. Make and, and we can stimulate the local economy. They can go out and explore the city. And so there's lots of positives. <laughs> no, certainly. This is great. So Chris, just tell me, how does it work? I have my bags in tow. Um, how do I then get to use your service? So there's two ways. You can um, make a reservation ahead of time on our mobile friendly website. I am a strong believer in app fatigue, so we don't have an app yet. <laughs> Um, so you can book us ahead of time. You just let us know when you're flying in and we'll be waiting for you. Or if you aren't aware of our service yet and you come into town, we're literally inside the baggage claim. Uh, you can make a reservation with our friendly nannies who are at the kiosk, um, pretty much all day. And, uh, the way it works is we just make a reservation. We ask how many bags you have is $20 per bag per day. And we have lots of discounts available as well. Uh, we, um, seal the bags with tamper evident seals. So right in front of you. So, you know, we're not getting into your bags and the bags are insured. And then you go enjoy your day. We have your bags delivered either usually, well, not usually, but a lot of times it's long layovers. So we'll bring it back to the airport for you if you're flying out or if you're waiting just to check into your hotel, your Airbnb, uh, we send you a reminder an hour ahead of time. We over communicate like almost to the annoying point. Nothing uh, wrong with that, by the way. Yeah. We are like, Hey, we're your new best friends for the day. Um, and then our driver also lets you know when they're on their way to deliver or pick up and then we give your bags back. We remove the seals and you go enjoy uh, the rest of your stay. So was there anything about, um, the airport space that surprised you other than obviously you've always seen it from the traveler side, but now you're a business owner in an airport space. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think that working in the airport is a whole other beast and it's a, it's, exciting for sure to be in the airport, but it historically has been very difficult for small businesses to get a foot in the door to try their ideas or to take a chance just because there's um, a lot of cost and risk aversion. Um, So we were really lucky to be in the right place at the right time in San Diego when we approached the airport and said, hey, we'd like to, to at least just pick up bags at the curb. We figured we'd probably need some type of permit. And they said, well, it doesn't really work that way. Um, There's a process you have to go through because we're a government agency. Uh, So they said, but there is a new thing called the Airport Innovation Lab that you should apply for. And so I looked into that and just that alone was like a scary thing. So it was an intense application and Mm -hmm. um, negotiating terms that I'm like taking this huge chance of like, I hope this business works. We weren't a proven business model yet. Um, and so I got into their innovation lab run by Rick Bellotti and Gina Jacobs. And um, a lot of companies applied, 10 got in, five graduated. Um, and of those five, I was the, uh, the only female founder. But we were really lucky to get access to the airport 
and test our idea. And it developed from just simply a curbside pickup to the kiosk inside the airport. We weren't sure they were going to let us do that. The airport wasn't sure they were going to let us do that. Um, so that was a huge plus for us because we got to learn how the airport security looks at things, how TSA looks at things. And we're actually the only company to be approved to do this service in an airport, which is a huge deal for us and for investors and for other airports too. Um, so, so we got to um, do our testing period. We actually posted revenue during the testing period. And then we were the only company to win a contract from the lab. So that was really cool. No, excellent. And and I got to ask, I mean, at that point when you're in the innovation lab, you're, you're going through the motions of trying to see uh, if this is even viable in, uh, in the airport space. I guess the results of that would have been, would have given you like, that was a go or no go situation at that point for you, I'm sure. Yeah, I was very worried that <laughs> we're going to make money because mm-hmm. we had to go through um, TSA background checks for all of our volunteers who are working for us but then they had to become hourly employees because we got to follow the rules Mm -hmm. so I was like oh no now I have payroll and it's real and we're paying for you know these badges to be issued and we're paying um for a lot of insurance like even though it was a temporary Mm -hmm. thing we still had to have um a very high amount of insurance to operate on the airport and we have cars that are driving through the airport so that's a whole other thing um but rather than be scared I literally went and I was like I'm going to lease, I'm going to buy a van, like a new brand (laughs) van and wrap it. Like, I'm just going to take the leap. If I'm going to go this far, I'm just going to really do it. And even um, Philip, who runs like the educational part part of the lab for a company called Dedicon, he was like, that's, that's brave. (laughs) Like, I can't imagine taking on, you know, $30,000 of debt in this new Nissan van. But I was like, no, we're going to do it right if we're going to do it. But even just buying shirts like was expensive, like and then getting our logo on them, like we had to really, it was a very stepped up, amplified, like much faster process for me, um, I think than normal. So, are you seeing uh, any obstacles to growth expansion for uh, baggage in? Um, really, what it comes down to, like I said, I've been bootstrapping the company, and so. At first, I was worried, oh, maybe other airports won't want us. We've had a lot of really great conversations with more than 10 airports throughout the U.S. who are interested in us expanding. Mm-hmm. So I feel like maybe that barrier has been overcome more than just in San Diego. But to be frank, it's mostly just getting in front of investors who see that this is a problem um, and also want to partner with us because it's expensive. It, it frankly yeah. is an expensive service for to operate. And 90% of that is because of labor. Mm-hmm. Um, I, like I said, I did a lot of the gig economy kind of jobs. Uh, I even did Postmates for a day and wasn't my jam. But I really, I really want to be on the right side of history with that. And so I never wanted to have um, independent contractors. I know that we already um, would break a lot of the rules if we did do that. Like we schedule people, they have to do background checks. There's a lot of things that um, don't work for us to do that business model, but it would be a lot cheaper. So I see why companies want to do that. Um, But so that being said, we want to make sure we're paying people a living wage. We have a small crew, so we want to make sure they're happy and we don't have a ton of turnover. Um, And we're asking a lot of them. It's a lot of responsibility. Um, So there's the labor cost. Everything else is pretty lean, but we're, I'm learning actively on 
how to do venture deals, like my new favorite book, I'm reading that book constantly. I have it on Audible too. Um, but just learning that new world. Like I probably waited too long to open our seed round just because I was scared of it. And I didn't want to go learn more while I'm focusing on this business. But now I'm learning. I have a ton of great mentors. I'm actually in an accel uh, accelerator with Barbara Bickham to um, focus on putting our like package together for investors that make it shiny and pretty. We are also working with her on becoming um, or following like a sustainability plunge and looking at how we are decre potentially decreasing the carbon footprint for airports, which is like a huge thing. Oh, okay. um, so, so yeah, long story short, I would prefer to be in every of those airports who have expressed interest throughout the U.S. tomorrow. Um, we have two options. We're raising one round where we could just do enough to get to two more airports and then expand slowly. Um, or we could raise the bigger raise and uh, go to those other airports pretty much not overnight because you still have to go through the airport process of contracts and negotiation, but it's a, it's a more feasible option. And then eventually I'm, I see us going to the European market as well. Um, but it just takes time working with a government agency and, um, you know, there's a saying, everyone says like, you've seen one, if you've seen one airport, you've seen one airport. So every airport's different. Uh, but we have a lot of opportunity ahead of us, which is great. Now we just got to hustle up the funds to do it. So my last question for you, Crystal, is uh, really related to the previous one. You know, what are your next steps? And I, obviously expansion is one, but yeah. are you looking to always, as uh, uh, Baggage and Annie is, is operating, I'm sure you're looking at it and trying to find ways to fine tune it and maybe even to evolve it in some way, mm -hmm. correct? Always, yes. We're always wanting to look at the bottom line and increase revenue any way that is feasible. And so um, we're looking at adding the baggage wrapping. It's basically like saran wrapping the bags. It's really popular on the East Coast. They do it in Miami, Houston, and um, New York. And so, and it's actually required in a few foreign airports. So I think that's kind of the wave of the future is uh, the saran wrapping the bags to protect the bags and to and ensure against any kind of theft. And so we actually have that in our pipeline, like we're working on it right now, which is really exciting. I'm looking ahead to uh, the delivery of bags via drone. I think that's a really <laughs> cool thing. Uh, and I know that a company just got like F the first FAA approval to deliver. I think it was Uber, maybe Uber or Amazon, one of those to deliver items um, via drone. So I think that's really cool. Um, but we're also really focused right now on our B2B opportunity, partnering with We'd love to partner with airlines and with hotels to offer the service to like their VIP customers, um, to their passengers in distress who have like an unexpected canceled flight. Um, but also like Airbnb for me, that's like my home. I've been involved in the Airbnb world for so long. And so just to get a meeting with them would be amazing to like partner with them. I think it would be a really easy fit to offer this service as like an extra thing on their Airbnb platform. I've done a billion things on their platform. So I'm really familiar with how it works. So I think we would be kind of a shoe in for them. But again, it's going to come down to if you're just in one airport, no one's that excited about it. We're excited about it. We're happy to be there. But if we're in more airports, then it's a, it's a bigger sell, you know, no, um, certainly. What we're looking at. Well, Crystal, that's all I have. And uh, once again, I want to thank you for taking the time to speak with me. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited to talk about this. Obviously, it's my favorite topic.